Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, so I'm glad you're here. If someone were to ask me, what's the most important thing to know about God? I would answer that God is good. And it's it's impossible to understand Torah. It's impossible to understand, I think, our lives in this world without understanding the goodness of God. And that doesn't mean that we understand what's going on. And it, it doesn't mean that there isn't suffering in this world. But nonetheless, it's all predicated on God's goodness. In other words, God is... God is working something, and, and God, is, God is elevating us and bringing us up. So that's the topic for today. And I want to explore on a, on a deeper level, what is the goal of suffering? What is suffering all about? Especially if we're putting it in the framework of the goodness of God, okay? If that's our ultimate premise— We've got to figure out what suffering is, right? And I'm going to actually give you some answers. And thanks to Rav Frimer in the Eretzvi. Again, Rav Frimer was the, the Rosh Yeshiva of Hachmei Lublin, which was the most famous yeshiva in the entire world, right? He was the successor to Rabbi Meir Shapiro, who introduced the, the, the Daf Yomi, the page a day of, of Talmud study to the Jewish world. And the Brisker Rav said that he was the greatest Torah Elui, the greatest Torah genius in the world, Rav Frimer. Okay, so Rav Frimer's understanding of suffering and, and what he's giving over raises my understanding a whole quantum level. And so let me try to share with you what he's saying, because it will redefine, if we really absorb these points, it will redefine a lot of what we understand about God and his goodness and about this world and all the trials and tribulations that we experience in our own life. Okay. So the first thing I want to do is just kind of track with you my my understanding up until the present time, and then I'll, I'll share with you what Rav Frimer has to say. Okay. So if you had asked me, you know, whatever, a few months ago, what what's what's what are punishments, right? Because Suffering and punishment seem to go hand in hand. What are punishments in Torah? And I would have sort of like gotten very excited and, and told you like right at the outset that, that Judaism doesn't really have punishments, that these, these, are, these are soul fixings, right? And, and so any hardships that we go through really are corrections of our soul. Now, now, I'm going to give you like a much more elevated understanding in a few moments, but, but that's what I would have told you up until now. And the imagery that I sort of like came up with at one point, which I think really sort of describes this, is imagine a person is kind of wandering down a path, you know, in the, in the woods or something like this. And then they go off the path and they walk deep into a thorn bush. All right? So now they're kind of like, now they realize, wow, I'm like surrounded by thorns. You know, I got to, I got to get out of this thorn bush. Right? So, so hopefully the imagery is clear. We're talking about a person who's gotten, 
you know, sort of maybe not necessarily maliciously or because they're a bad person or anything like that, but it kind of wandered off the the, the main path of, of life, of morality, whatever it is, just, and, and now they're stuck in the middle of a thorn bush, okay? Okay, so now let's say you wanted to rescue this person, right? Well, what are you going to do? You have to pull them out of the thorn bush. I mean, you have to get them out of the thorn bush, right? But getting the person out of the thorn bush, they're going to be going, ah, 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 because they're being pulled through a thorn bush. But they're not being pulled through a thorn bush to make the person suffer, God forbid. They're being pulled through the thorn bush to get them out of the thorn bush. Is that, is that clear? So, so in other words, this is the idea of fixing, that it's not the pain of, of the, or what we experience as a punishment. It's not, it's not just pain for its own sake. It's, it's, it's getting the person out of where they were. So it's, it's fixing it because before I was stuck in a thorn bush, now I'm out of the thorn bush. So, so this fixing has taken place. Okay. So now I want to take it to another level. Okay. Now this is, this is, this is what Rob Frimmer is saying. And I'm going to give you several examples of this. And you're going to hopefully really come to appreciate, as strange as it sounds, but the, the beauty of the role that suffering plays in our life. So you, you know, you might be slightly shocked by, by, that, by that phrasing. Like, beauty? What are you, what are you talking about? But, but hear it through. Hear it through. Just, like, take a few steps backwards, open up your heart, open up your mind, and try to absorb these concepts because they're very, very elevated, okay? You see, a famous example is, imagine I'm wearing all white. And now imagine I get a little stain on my clothes. It's just a little stain, right? If my shirt wasn't white, maybe you wouldn't even have noticed it. But now that I'm wearing all white and you see this little stain on it, well, the eye kind of goes directly to it, you know? So it's, it, you know, it might be small, but it's very real and it's significant. So the Rambam brings something that when I first heard, I kind of got mad at this teaching. I was like, oh, why is this the case, right? You know, it doesn't seem fair. But then you think about it a little bit more and it makes sense, which is that Hashem is actually more exacting with Sadiqim. In other words, the higher and the holier a person becomes, the more exacting is Hashem's judgment. And so now let's return to this idea of the white shirt with the little stain. You see, if you're wearing a black shirt and you get a little bit of chocolate fudge on your, on your, on your shirt, it's like no one's going to notice. But if you raise yourself up to the point where you're like garbed in white, so to speak, in other words, you're holding on a high spiritual level, that little thing is actually meaningful. So, so it makes sense, and I'm, I'm going to give you an even better example in a moment, but it, it makes sense that Hashem is more exacting with the righteous. And what's the better example? Okay, let's, let's kind of think of it in a more heavenly way right now. 
You see, you know, as you rise higher and higher in the spiritual realms, the 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 light becomes more and more and more exalted, right? Like, you know, we have different models of the universe. One of, one of the models of the universe is, is called the four worlds. And it's not four planets or anything like that. It's all one, but it's stratifications of light. And the highest stratification of light, Atsilus, it's so exalted. It's so utterly heavenly pure, okay? So the littlest thing in, 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 in these higher realms is very meaningful, right? Okay. So the idea is like this. I'm going to tell you a Kabbalistic teaching, which I've seen now from, from Rav Frimer in the Eretzvi, and Rav Tzadik HaKohen also brought it in Tekanis Hashavim, okay? It's a very exalted teaching, okay? Listen to this. It says that after souls are in Gan Eden for many, many years, okay? So we're talking about, wow, you know, they, they made it to Gan Eden. The soul is in Gan Eden. Wow, it's a big deal, right? Well, believe it or not, there's two parts of Gan Eden that you should know about. One is called Gan Eden Tachton, which means the lower Gan Eden, and one is Gan Eden Elyon, which means the higher Gan Eden. And so after souls have been in Gan Eden Tachton, the lower Gan Eden for many years, at a certain point, those souls have to be re-examined. And there's another judgment and another period of like Gehenna. You know, Gehenna would be loosely translated as hell, except we don't have the concept of hell. It's not a place of perpetual damnation. It, it's a cleaning place where, where souls are cleaned. And so after a soul, after souls have been in Gan Eden Tachton, this lower Gan Eden, and the reason why this is such an exalted teaching is because it's furthering our understanding of the journey of the soul. We tend to think that, okay, you make it to Gan Eden, eternal bliss, story is over, right? This is what most people think, but, you know, we're learning deeper sources together, okay? So, but what happens is, is that the soul goes through another round of judgment, and then it goes to Gan Eden Elyon, the higher Gan Eden. Now, why is that the case? Why is that the case that, in other words, why can't the soul just go, naturally speaking, from the lower Gan Eden to the higher Gan Eden? Why this intermediary step of having to go through a, a, a process of judgment one more time? Why would that be the case? So now listen to this. There are certain things in one stratification of heaven that are not problematic. But when you go to the higher, pure, more exalted level of heaven, those, those things become issues, right? Just think on the black shirt, the stain can't be seen, but on the white shirt, all of a sudden it can be seen. So now apply that to these stratifications of heaven, these levels of heaven. So let me give you a practical example, okay? Thoughts in this lifetime, 
one, if one has bad thoughts, they're not, they're not prosecutable. <laughs> okay. It, it just boils down to your actions. What are you doing? Right? It's not, what are you thinking? It's, what are you doing? Okay. And, and that's how God judges us. So that's, that's important. Okay. But when you're, when the soul is traveling from the lower Gan Eden to the higher Gan Eden, explains Rav Frimmer, all of a sudden one's thoughts now are becoming important because you're going to an even higher, higher, higher level. Okay. So now that's why a new judgment has to take place so that the soul can be cleansed for things which weren't necessarily problematic for now, but now as you're going higher, become issues and the soul has to be cleansed so that the elevation can take place. Okay, so all of this has been kind of like descriptions of the mechanics and everything like that, but we haven't gotten to the core reason for suffering. And now I want to explain it, because with this in mind, hopefully it will be clear. So, as Reb Shlomo would say, open up your hearts, open up your minds, right? I'm adding that. He, he didn't talk about that part. But, but, but listen to this. As I explained to you before, if you had asked me about punishments, and I'm sort of lumping together punishments and suffering, I would have told you before, no, there's no such a thing. There's only soul fixings, right? Like pulling the person out of the thorn bush, right? But now, there's a whole new idea. There's a whole new idea, which is that God only wants to elevate us. God only wants to bring us to a higher place. That is the reason why all these things are happening. You see, let me, let me approach it from another angle, and you'll hear again new ideas. Okay, in the Gomorrah, in the Gomorrah, the Talmud, in Edios, there's an amazing teaching. You know how you have different seasons, right? Duck hunting season, rabbit hunting season. <laughs> you got basketball season, you got football season, baseball season. They're different seasons. Believe it or not, there's a season for when souls are judged in Gehenna. Okay, this is in the Talmud. And when is that season, right? When is Gehenna open, open for business, so to speak? Between Pesach and Shavuos, right now. Why, why now? Why now? Because right now we're in this process. Remember, the journey from leaving Egypt to receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. And remember, the Torah is given on Mount Sinai in the 50th day. Remember, we have different charts of heaven. We talked about the four worlds a moment ago. We also have the 50 gates of Bina, right, of understanding. And the top is the 50th. That's the top of heaven. We're journeying right now to the very, very top. Okay? So why are the souls being judged in Gehenna right now? And it's not for the following reason. And listen very carefully. Gehenna isn't about, oh, you did this in this world. Well, God says, ha ha, now's my time to get you back. 
you know, okay, maybe, maybe you can, maybe you can go to that place, but not until I get my revenge on your soul. It's absolutely not that, okay? It's God, why is there even a Gehenna? Why, why does it even exist? It's only so that God can purify the soul in order to lift it higher. In order to lift it higher. Why do we go through all the pain and suffering that we experience in our own lives? It's only because God is lifting us higher. So now, let me give you another example. It says that, you know, when, when, when the Jews left Egypt, it says that they, that they were given gifts by the Egyptians of gold and silver and clothes and all of these things. And, and we, we left Egypt as God had promised Abraham that, the, that your children are going to be slaves in Egypt, but they're going to leave with tremendous wealth. So this was the fulfillment of this prophecy, this, this promise that God made to Abraham. And when the Jews left, they were given great stature in the eyes of the Egyptians. In fact, many, many Egyptians left with the Jews. By the way, I saw an unbelievable article this morning. There's a big movement in Colombia, Colombia, the um, South American country, of converts to Orthodox Judaism. And, you know, you can look it up. It's in the, it's in the Washington Post, a fascinating article about, like, lots and lots, like, whole communities of, of people who are converting to Orthodox Judaism. And, and they say, we just want to know the truth. So, so anyway, this, this journey of, of, of the Egyptians not only did they give like great wealth to the Jewish people when they left Egypt, many Egyptians also left and, and went with the Jews as well. Okay. But anyway, there's another point here, which is that it says that as much as they got in terms of, you know, all these presents and, you know, on a kind of a, a more meat and potatoes level, you know, you can say this was back pay for building all the pyramids and treasure houses in, in Egypt, you know, which we weren't compensated as, as slaves for. You know, this was, you know, like our, our delayed payment for all these things that we earned themselves, that, that they weren't presents at all. By the way, Kabbalistically, we say that, that, that this wealth wasn't, that's not really what the Torah is talking about. On a simple level, that's what the Torah is talking about. But it's talking about all these fallen sparks that were elevated by, by our avoda, by our, our heavenly service while we were slaves in Egypt. And that's the wealth that we left Egypt with, with all these raised sparks. Okay. But anyway, all of this aside, it says as much as we got there, we got even more by the Red Sea. When, the, when the, all the chariots of the, the Egyptian army were, were drowned, I guess it was just just an ancient military practice that when people like went into war, they brought like valuables and it was like some kind of like ecstatic party experience, like going into war in addition to all the bloodshed. So anyway, there was tremendous, tremendous, tremendous wealth that was gotten after the sea split and the Egyptians drowned. Okay. 
So now, in light of everything we've been saying about suffering up until now, listen to what Rav Frommer says. And, and this is going to sort of like, kind of like f- highlight this point we've been saying up until now from yet another angle. But you'll really kind of feel it after this one. He says, listen, there's this idea that if someone does bad to someone else, like he says, Lashon Hara on another person, or, you know, does some, something really super spiritually negative to another person, that that person, the perpetrator, actually forfeits his mitzvahs, forfeits, forfeits them, and they, all the reward, all the benefits that that person has gets handed over spiritually to the other person who's been afflicted. A very interesting idea. So, so what Rav Frimer says is, he says, do you know what the treasures the Jewish people got after, after the Egyptians drowned in the water? Right? He's talking about it. He's taking it from a spiritual angle now. He's not talking about cash right now. Okay? He says these Egyptians suffered when they were drowned in the water, when the Red Sea closed on top of them. And that, that suffering, that was, those were actually soul assets, right? Because the purpose of suffering, we said, is God is just lifting us up, right? Now, we do have a, a concept. I mean, this is, this is, we have to kind of keep this in a separate category, but I want to acknowledge it. We have an idea that God will punish the wicked, okay? So there is that separate category, different from what we're talking about right now, which is that those who are truly wicked get judged and get punished. And not as often as we'd like to see in this world, but often in this world, we'll even see it in this world, okay? So, so but what I'm talking about is what about you and me and, and just like the, just like the, the average well-intentioned person, right? What about the suffering they experience in their lives? That's what we're addressing right now. We're not talking about the punishment of the wicked right now. It's just an important distinction to keep in mind. So, so when, when the Egyptian soldiers who were, you know, just trying to attack this defenseless people, right? When they suffered, their suffering became assets. And that's the wealth that got transferred to the Jewish people. Because when you afflict someone else, you forfeit your, your, your spiritual wealth to that person. So all the spiritual wealth that came from them drowning in the sea all got transferred to the Jewish people. Now, what's fascinating about what Rav Frimer is saying here is that you cannot say such a thing. You cannot say such a thing unless you understand that suffering, that after a person goes through suffering, that that actually becomes a soul asset, that that actually becomes wealth for the person. But that's exactly what he's saying. You know, I heard a story years ago that 
there was someone who, he was married to this person and the person was just cursing him out all the time and the person, you know, was getting cursed out in this marriage just couldn't take it anymore, right? And so they went to a Rav and the, the, the Rav told them, you know, every time that person is cursing you and yelling at you, you know, your husband or wife, whatever it was, that that is a soul cleansing for you, you know? Like the Chofetz Chaim says that the best Gehenim is being embarrassed. Like, because when a person gets embarrassed, their soul gets cleansed. So getting embarrassed is the best Gehenna. Can you imagine the best soul purification? Anyway, someone spoke to the, the other side of this uh, marriage unit, and that person, um, <laughs> that person stopped cursing out the other person. And, or maybe, and I might be making up this part of the story, I don't know, maybe the person said to the, to the other person, you know, every time you curse me out, you're cleansing my soul. Anyway, either way, whether they were advised to stop or the person said that to them, they stopped cursing them out. And then the person went back to the rabbi and said, but my soul isn't getting cleansed now. <laughs> I miss the soul cleansing. So, so here's someone who genuinely came to appreciate the spiritual value of going through a hard time and who thoroughly embraced it. So I want to talk about how can we, how can we deal with this attitudinal shift in our own life? How can we apply all these teachings that we've been saying up until now in a practical way? Okay. And I want to give just one one to one example, okay? But but before we do, let's just recap the major new point that we're saying. That suffering is not just a fixing for the soul. Suffering only exists because God wants to elevate you to a higher place where whatever stain you have on your soul or whatever it is, however you want to phrase it, whatever imperfection, even if it's slight, because you're going to an even higher, more exalted place, that that has to be taken away because God wants to lift you higher. And this is how we reconcile the idea of suffering and God's goodness and how we see that suffering is only coming because God is good, because God from his goodness wants to pick us up to an even higher place. So this, again, this is like, this is a very basic, very major foundation for all of us to understand in terms of our own lives in Jewish history. And if you want to apply this on a global Jewish history place, is there a more persecuted people in the entire world than the Jewish people? And from that standpoint, you have to then take the next step based on everything that we've been saying. Therefore, is there a more cleansed, exalted people than the Jewish people? So, so how, do we, how do we try to harness this type of thinking, okay? In terms of our daily lives, setbacks and things like this. So there's a... 
you know what I would what Reb, what Reb Shlomo would call a, a cash Torah. Remember what a cash Torah is, cash like money. It's something that you have to have in your pocket at all time. Meaning to say, you got to know a cash Torah so well that at any moment you can just say it, right? Just you got it, okay. So this, in my opinion, is a cash Torah, and it's it's it actually we were learning about it in this week's parsha. You know, we have this spiritual affliction, it, it doesn't exist anymore, called saras, which is often translated as leprosy. It wasn't leprosy, but it was this this skin condition that that where the skin would become white, and and that's why it's sort of compared to leprosy. And a person had to be isolated on the outside of the camp. In other words, they had to be quarantined, removed. And Reb Shlomo said something so deep, he said, you know, when someone speaks Lashon Hara, because that's, our rabbis tell us that was the root of getting Saras, speaking, you know, in a, in a really terrible way about another person. Do you know when, when, when a person speaks Lashon Hara, why are they doing it? Okay, you could give a lot of answers, but listen to what Rip Shlomo said, something really like, wow. He said that at that moment, the person wants to take away all of your friends. You know, if you really thought about that, you'll never speak Lashon Hara again. Because before you say something that's really inappropriate, ask yourself, do I really actively want to take away all this person's friends? All these person's friends? Do I really want to do that? And so that's why part of the fixing of the Mitzorah, someone who got Sarah, someone who spoke Lashon Hara, has to go and isolate and be outside the camp all by themselves. Meaning to say, as Rip Shlomo explained, how does it feel to be all alone? Do you like that feeling? No one likes that feeling. But that's what you were trying to do. You were trying to alienate all, all those person's friends. So... How would a person know if they had saras, right? This spiritual malady that would come. So they would have, and here's the key word, okay, you ready? A person would have a nega, that's the Hebrew. And that's nun gimel ayin, nega. All right, that's that white spot on their skin. That's that imperfection. So nobody wants a nega. You don't want a nega. Now, what's so interesting about this word is that it ends with the letter ayin. Now, ayin is really interesting because ayin is not just the name of a letter in Hebrew. Ayin is actually a word in itself. Ayin means I, E-Y-E, I, like you see with your eye. So the word nega, which is this blemish, which is serious business because it really, you know, you the person has to undergo a very lengthy purification process. This, this nega ends with the letter ayin, which means I. Now, now listen to this. So the Sefer Yitzhira says something unbelievable. If you take this letter ayin, which is the last letter of nega, and you move it from the back of the word to the front of the word, it spells a brand new word. Same letters, you just move the last letter to the front. It now spells the word oneg, which means bliss. <laughs> now, isn't that amazing? 
you took a word which is wholly negative, nega, this like very bad blemish on a person. But by moving the ayin, by moving your eye, E-Y-E, by reframing your understanding of this situation, you changed a negative into a great positive. In other words, how are you looking at things? Or as Reb Shlomo would say, with what kind of eyes are you seeing this world? And Reb Shlomo used to say that, you know, we have to see this world with Shabbos eyes, right? Look at the world through Shabbos eyes. Like, what does that mean? Shabbos, remember, the, the day of fixing, the era of fixing is, is called Yom Shekulo Shabbos, the day that will be all Shabbos. You look at the world with Shabbos eyes. You see, okay, this person's not on the level yet, but everything's evolving toward perfection. Everyone's going to get there. Okay, so they're not there yet. You know what? I'm also not there yet. So it's all how we look at things. And of course, that's super relevant in terms of our present discussion about suffering. Is it, oh God, you're getting me back? I, I did X, Y, or Z, and now you, you can't wait to get me back, right? That's not it. God is lifting you higher. God is lifting all of us higher. But in order to see that, we have to change the, the nega into onik. We have to reframe with our eye how we're viewing it. And then that changes absolutely everything. Okay. I want to tell you something else. Related. Related. You know, a lot of times, the worst form of suffering is worrying. Because we worry and we worry and we drive ourselves absolutely crazy with our worry, you know? And, you know, one of the signs, if you want to kind of give yourself a little litmus test about your own spirituality, right? One of the signs is, how calm are you? Because there's a direct correlation between calmness and faith in God. My friend Alex Clare, the musician, told me that. We were in the, the green room in, in South Africa waiting to give our talks. And, and, you know, I don't know if he was saying he was nervous or I was saying I was nervous or maybe whatever it was. But he said, you know... He said, my Rav told me, calmness equals faith. So, so worry is something that just eats at the soul. And I once put it this way, that if you feel worry, that's your soul telling you to pray. That's, that's what it is, because it's natural to worry. But, but it's, it's, it's longing to be elevated, to be sublimated into prayer. So, so when you feel it, you speak to God, and you talk it through, and you, and you pray. Okay. So now, because worrying for a lot of people is, is suffering, I want to I give you a strategy. And I came up with this visual just recently, and I've been using it for myself, and it's been effective for me, so I want to share it with you. Okay? And it comes to addressing aspects of worry. So a lot of people, when, when they worry, 
they basically, I, I'm not saying they visualize this, but emotionally speaking, this is what they're experiencing. They feel as though they're standing right next to, at the edge of a cliff. And at any moment, they could just topple over and plummet down this steep cliff and just into oblivion, right? That's how, that's how people experience worry. Okay, so now let me give you an alternate way. Next time you kind of are feeling in, in, in that type of place, let me give you another visual to substitute for it. Which is, imagine you're standing on one bank of a river and you want to get to the other bank of the river. So you're there and the other bank of the river is right there. And in front of you, in the river, there are many, many boats. Many boats that can take you across the river. Many boats. And they're all right there. See, we have a phrase in, in, in Torah, which is Harbe Shluchim Hamelch, which means that the king has many messengers. He can send salvation an infinite number of ways. And I was sharing with the Hevra, I had an experience that, that I think of, you know, which addresses this from time to time. I, I was on this TV show many years ago. This was actually in the, well, I'll just get to the point. And one day I received a check from the government of France for like $70. And I was like, this is so bizarre. Like, what am I getting a check from the government of France for? This is so weird. And so what's the answer? They had changed some copyright laws. And this was just in the beginning of the, the VHS days when people were videotaping shows and therefore the artist wasn't getting compensated for the work where they would have normally been if there was a rerun. And so the French government wanted to protect the artist and everything like that. And so as a result, I was getting a check from the government of France for this episode that had, you know, run there. And I thought to myself, man, God, if God wants to send you money, he, there are no shortages of ways that God can send you money if he wants to send you money. So, so God has many, many messengers. So, so again, next time you worry, don't think you're standing like right next to the edge of a cliff and you can fall off into oblivion. Imagine yourself standing on the banks of a river and the other side of the river is just beyond you and in front of you are so many different boats, so many different ways that God can take you across the river. And maybe it's going to be one of the boats you see. Maybe there's a boat that's not there yet, that's on its way over there. Maybe there's a boat that's there, but because it's kind of out of your eyesight, it's already there, but you just don't see it. But it's already there. All that's the case. So, so hopefully, hopefully we've we've made a kind of a, a soul journey together today. And we've appreciated that really, like I said, like I started out, if you were to ask me, what is the most important thing to know about God? And I would say that God is good. And if that's the case, 
all of us are like stampeding, stampeding to like the microphone to ask the next question. Then what about all the suffering? Well, now we know. God is just lifting us up. And in the highest, highest, highest levels, as we go higher and higher, we just have to be pure and pure. And God wants to make us pure and pure because he wants to lift us higher and higher. And of course, the level of bliss, remember what it says in Pirkei Avos. If you were to combine all of the pleasures of this world, I mean, think of every pleasurable moment that you've had over the course of your lifetime. If you were to roll them all up into one big pleasure ball, right? That it wouldn't compare to one moment, one instant in the next world. And and the way that I the way that I understand that, just in terms of the, the mechanics of that, is you know, like the the tips of your fingers are very sensitive, much more so than say the bottom of your feet. The tip of your tongue is on a sensory level, very, very sensitive, okay? But th this is all on a physical level. Imagine after 120, after our lifetime, our soul is plugged into the divine light. <laughs> like it's, it's a quantum level of pleasure higher. Do you understand? Do you understand how you can't even compete? It's like, it's like the pleasure of this world is like knocking on like a wooden door. And the pleasure of the next world is this like absolutely transcendent, transcendent experience. So, so God's goal is to lift us higher and higher and higher within that transcendent pleasure. And we, but, but we have to earn it. We have to earn it. And, and, and according to the Ramachal, that's the whole purpose of this world, just so that we can have the merit of having earned it. Because if we get it for free, it's not going to feel as good. God wants to give over the perfect good in the perfect way, which requires us earning it. And that's all the struggles of this world. But then when we experience that pleasure, it's completely wholesome because it's ours. And of course, we say it's ours. It's not ultimately a selfish experience. It's just the opposite. It's just being absolutely part of the like divine oneness of God. Okay. So here's, here's an exercise that maybe we can all focus on this coming week. The next time you feel... Uh, a little bit of worry or anxiety taking place. Take that moment to recognize it and appreciate it and turn that into a prayer, a spoken prayer. Like actually, not just thoughts, but actually use words and, and say the words out loud and say, you know, God or however you want to say it, you know, right now, I'm worrying about this particular aspect of my life. Please, God, may it work out for the good. And, you know, you can add in all the particulars. But start to sensitize yourself from transitioning from that 
turbulent, anxious place into a place of spoken prayer. And so that, that would be a great way to sort of like really try to integrate these ideas into your daily life. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's what you're feeling is coming from a very good place. And the challenge is how not to do it in a terrible way. <laughs> That's because so many people want to help other people grow spiritually and they do it by hitting them over the head with a club and just making them feel like terrible people. And, and you know, the the art of spiritual development, and it is an art really, is is somehow, you know, making it a positive experience and 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 something that's that's about you know you know rejoicing in life, rejoicing in God, and 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 everything like that, instead of putting another person down. And I I would say that the best ways to do it is number one, whatever behavior you want to see in the other person, first and foremost, model it in yourself. Make sure that you yourself are a great practitioner of that thing before you try to get someone else to do it. That, that's number one. And, and number two, make sure that, that you're being a friend to the other person. Because, you know, people don't really want to take the advice of someone who they feel is judging them or someone who they feel is doesn't love them. And so you can't really elevate another person spiritually unless they know that you love them. And then once you yourself are exhibiting that, that positive thing that you want to see in the other person, and once they know that you actually love them, then they'll listen to you. So I'm always trying to figure out how can I do new stuff? So I just started making one minute videos, a new one every single week, and you can check them out on Instagram and on Facebook or signing up and just getting them sent to you by being on the mail. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life and review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.